Good morning, everybody. It's so nice to be here. Tina and I were thinking that on the way down. You know, we are we are in the world, but not of the world. And sometimes when we're immersed in the world, it just makes you all the more thankful to be able to come back to the saints and be with them. Um, let me just open us up in a word of prayer. So, Father, we just come to you with just joyful hearts. When we just ponder, just simply, from eternity's past, it was within the solitariness of the triune God that it was purposed to redeem for yourself a people unworthy and undeserving as they are. And that in order to redeem those people, the Son would enter into the creation that He created. Live to show Himself to be God with the power of God, with the heart of God, and the perfection of God. And the very humanity that we are studying in this passage, in a microcosm of Israel, crucified him. Because he gave them no way to compare to his righteousness, their self-righteousness. And so they desired to wipe him off the face of the earth. And in the wonder of your ways, that very death was the very means by which we, the sinner, could live and just as we studied, Father, right out of the mouth of our Lord, it was better for him to go away that the Comforter, the Spirit of God, would come and dwell in us just as he is at this very moment to stir us up, to illumine our hearts, to illumine our minds, and to set our thoughts and intents on Christ and his kingdom. And so we just praise you, Lord, for all that you have done. And we praise our triune God for what they continue to do for this undeserving people to this very moment. And we praise you always in your precious name our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So I realize I have a little stuffy nose, and I also have got punched in the nose when I was a kid, thanks to Gordon. And uh, so my nose whistles sometimes. So if you hear some whistling, it's, it's my nose, it's not my mouth. <laughs> um, Uh, we're going to come back into this passage of Romans 1, 28 through 32, but I, I hope you guys are realizing, number one, this is not a, a, an example of expository 
preaching and teaching. This, this thing has taken me so many different places. And, and what I have found is this, there's so much that leaps out of this passage when you put it within the context of humanity and the work of God within that humanity. Um, and thankfully it's brought us around to the importance of the church and the saints in the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and just the closeness that we all need and have and will need to have uh, as we are continually being sanctified. And the thought that occurred to me this morning was, particularly as I read this passage and I learn more about these words and I begin to look into the scripture and I see these very behaviors amongst the saints that have been the very abandoning wrath of God on those who hate him. And I am struck by how much I am still blind to in the unsanctified portion of my heart. And that's the danger. How much of the worldly living that scripture speaks to is a real danger to us because our hearts are still not sanctified by the word of God. We have still not seen it rightly and therefore we could be immersed in things that are altogether worldly and we are utterly blind to it. And frankly, that's what the warning for me is so apparent in scripture because that's what you see all the way through these Hall of Fame saints (laughs) of the scriptures. So I want us to just Kind of think about where we've been the last three weeks. A lot of about how it is the heart we're given and the Spirit of God and the Word of God that then begin the process of changing the way we think. So important that we think about how much of what God does begins here and moves to our minds as it's informed and transformed by the Word of God. And then it moves out into the behaviors, the motives, the intents of our heart. So there's a real sequence there that the scriptures give us through the work of the Holy Spirit that we have to be very, very mindful of. And quite frankly, we all know that the likelihood of us sinning the very day we take our last breath is very high, right? And it will be the continuing work. But no matter where we are on that sanctification trajectory if I can say it that way because we are like this in our sanctification just zigzagging but if you were able to draw God's line we are being sanctified but there's going to come a day when we go to stand before the Lord where wherever we are by God's providence in the life of that soul all of us are going straight to glory and it's going to be a steep line straight up to glory right the new body the sinlessness, the inability to even, like Christ, even think about doing sin, right? It's all going to be eviscerated in this glorification that we're promised so beautifully, which is why the constant word of Paul and Peter, as we'll see this morning, is to set our minds there as we battle daily sin, and a world that is plunging itself deep into that sin, right? And this, this passage just stirs this up so, so strongly. 
But I want to shift with that in mind, with our minds set on what is yet to come. I want to pull right from our Lord in Luke 12 around the importance of being ready. Every breath you take, be ready. That's what I take away from this passage in Luke 12. And if you harmonize this with the rest of the Gospels, what you will find that this text that we're about to walk through is right on the heels of is in Matthew 15, verse 14, where you will hear the single most dreaded words a human being could ever hear. And that was Jesus speaking to the teachers of Israel, leave them alone. And then he goes on to say, they are blind guides of who? The blind. You see the, the warning there? Leave them alone. That is a, another microcosm of humanity in Israel who had all of the oracles and all the gifts and all of the revelation and all of the care of God visible in so many wonderful ways and they would not acknowledge God or give him thanks and everything that God did for the people of Israel all the way throughout the Old Testament was manifested in Christ and they crucified him. That's what, that's what is right on the, the heels of these passages. So go with me to Luke 12. And I'll start. What I'm going to do is just never, not read through. I want to just pull out kind of the big breadcrumb trail of Jesus' statements in the midst of a lot of teaching. So you, there's a lot being taught in here. But there are certain uh, imperatives or, or indicatives that Jesus just states. And I want to point us to our first one in Luke 12, 1 through 2, where he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. So, I, so the, the theme here really is we must be ready. What do we need to be ready for? What are we watching for? And I think that this whole section gives us an amazing picture of that very thing. Luke 12, 1 through 2, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And he gives us this warning. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Nothing. And I think this gives us, the believers, a wonderful picture into the, just the, the kindness of the Lord to give us the constant exhortation to just confess and repent of our sins. Every one of them, every day, agree with God that we are sinners, even saints saved by grace, we are sinners and just acknowledge God in that. And it'll help you see the abundance of grace he's given you to continue to battle with that sin. But we all know that there are many in the professing church today where if you were to tell them they need to repent of their sins, you might want to duck. Because they could never imagine themselves 
needing to confess and repent their sins because they got that dose of grace and they are good. There is nothing farther from the truth of Scripture. Look at David, right? And the beware of the leaven of the Pharisees is a warning towards self-righteous religion because that's what condemned them. It's why they wanted Christ crucified because they thought highly of themselves and Christ just tore that down, right? Go with me to verse five. And we just see Jesus work through this in such a beautiful way. He gives us this warning, which had to be a shock to the people listening. And then he helps us to, to, to know where our fear should be as that shock rises up in us. Luke 12, 5 and verse 7 say this, But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed, very interesting, right? Who kills? Who takes the breath away? Whose providence and sovereignty is that? After he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. This is this first death, second death, right? The first death is the passing from this life. The second death never dies, right? And it is unto the one who is not covered by the blood of Christ. And this, we all know this is precisely what Jesus is speaking to here. But it's in the context of this warning to be ready. He says, yes, I tell you, fear him. So he says before, leave them alone. Now he says, fear him. And then verse 7, why even the hairs of your head are numbered? Some of us could have fun with that. But what a comforting thought. There isn't a single minute thing about your entire existence that God doesn't know. And he loves you and he died for you despite all of that. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Isn't that freeing <laughs> to know there, there's nothing to hide? Nothing to hide. Fear not, wonderful words, you are of more value than many sparrows. And Jesus is just turning those that are listening with ears to hear from the system to him, to God. And this should ring true with the passages we've read. Think of Romans 121 and 129. But look at Luke 12, 8 through 9. And I tell you, so what was the condemnation of humanity in Romans 121 and 129? For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, and their foolish hearts were darkened. They would not acknowledge God or give him thanks, and they were given over to a debased mind. Look at the positive exhortation that Jesus is giving against this in Luke 12, 8 through 9. And I tell you, look at the words, everyone who, what, acknowledges me. Before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. And I just think about that. Where's that going to happen? But it's going to happen. 
What's he going to acknowledge before the angels of God right? about us? I wonder if it has something to do with, listen to him, my son. Beautiful, isn't it, to think about? And here comes one of the guards, one of the, the elements on the shield that we have to keep all the time, Luke 12, verse 15, and he said to them, take care and be on your guard. So here is, his one's coming straight at us, and look what it is particularly at this time of the year. Be on your guard against all covetousness. And the easiest way to think about that 10th commandment of don't covet, and I'll think about this, honestly, it is simply to want what we don't have. Can you imagine how many times today we're all going to do that in one form or another? whether it be a saved child or this or that, right? It is to just prayerfully take it to the Lord, the sovereign one. And there are certainly things that we do covet that are the time with the saints, right? A saved child, but it is all in the Lord's hands, right? Against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So he moves it to the materiality that we so strongly desire today. And then in Luke 12 and 30 and 31, right in the midst of this kind of elongated series of, of lessons, the Lord teaches us about setting our minds. Look at Luke 12, verse 30 and 31. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. That's why the command, don't covet. To covet incessantly is to say, I don't trust God and his word that he actually knows what I need. How many times do we say that to our children? I'm going to give you what you need, not what you want. God is the master at that. And all of that trusted and carried into our lives produces the most beautiful gift of the Holy Spirit, contentment in a world that is absolutely sideways on every front, right? Got to find my place again. The Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Do you ever just slow down and read that and think, everything that you ever needed and so much more is going to be provided for us in a kingdom we can't even imagine, right? For those of you that always wanted to be the superhero, right, I think you can see that Jesus in his resurrected and glorified body pass through time and space just to get you thinking <laughs> just saying be ready for the day of the lord's return this is where he goes in verse 35 
Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast, so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. And aren't you just ready to fling open the doors for the Lord? <laughs> like right now, just come, Lord Jesus. That's what all the old-timey saints that have been through trials and tribulations far beyond what we've ever experienced in this country. Right? Just come, Lord. Right? This is exactly where Jesus wants us to be. And then he said, blessed are those servants, slaves, we know is the proper translation, who the master finds awake when he comes. So here's this warning again, to be ready. Truly I say to you, he, listen to these words. We, the sinful, undeserving people of God who have been given a heart that just desires to honor and serve the Lord and yet we fail every day. Look at what Jesus says. Finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table. Do you see the uh, rather strange reversal there? What a beautiful thought on the Lord's day when we celebrate the Lord's table. When he washed their feet. Look at what he's doing right here. It, it, when I really just kind of thought about it, it just helped me so much want to do so much more out of my heart to just serve and care for other people because the joy that our Lord showed us was in the giving of himself completely as he waited for the rewards of heaven that he will share with us as if they were ours to begin with a beautiful picture He says, truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table and he will come and serve them. And I am so glad Jesus said that because it just seems so out of whack. But he doesn't waste much time before he goes to verse 51. And what he does is he takes us right from the kingdom mindset to where we are right now and the absolute difficulty that that brings in the daily course of life. He says, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? One of the most commonly sang songs, right? No, he says, I tell you, but rather division Far from now on in one house there will be, for from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. There will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law, just division everywhere. At the heart of the family and then right out into society. Something to think about 
eschatologically, it's pretty clear that there is a very unified, binding, one-world religion right at the point Jesus returns. How in the world do you get that with the diversity of hateful people that we have on this planet? You gut it of truth. And you tell everybody everything they want to hear. You have to completely remove the truth. And even then, it's iron and clay, isn't it? Because <laughs> at the heart of those hearts, they're selfish, that world is. It's just fascinating when you think about it. And this is, this is the greatest danger in what I think we should all be diligent about within the professing church because we don't know who's the wheat and who's the tare. We disciple. We bring the word of God, right? We teach. We come alongside to put on and to put off. But Luke 12.56 says, You hypocrites, as they were reading all the signs around them, and this is why we can tie this back to Romans 1. Romans 1, its entirety, is a sign to the society that's living when they see that society turned over. It is a sign. I'm not a signs and wonders, but it is a clear revelation of Scripture that that is a society that has been told Leave them alone. In verse 56, we get a stern warning. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Jesus asks. And I think we can say it's because we don't believe the scriptures. And when you start clipping out the scriptures, you unhinge yourself from the ability to make any sense of anything. And yet the scriptures just bore right through it because it teaches us what is altogether unbelievable to the flesh. Right? Like, no, not one human being is righteous. Not one. Boy, there's a chicken bone, isn't it? Verse 58, just a few more. As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way. So this is just a whole series of teaching Jesus is giving. And what I've tried to do is rather than read all of Luke 12, just give you some of the big breadcrumbs that, that he pulls out in the teaching of these stories. And this is, this is one of the two that just really... Go with your accuser before the magistrate. Make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. And if you have a loved one 
who is just waiting for tomorrow to get right with God. This is exactly where you take them. Because God will not be mocked. We're not in control of this. God will not be mocked, right? And then you see him build that out in Luke 13, verse 2 through 5. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way, they asked? It's the thing that goes off in your mind that sounds like, boy, wonder what he did. Wonder what she did, right? That's exactly what's being provoked here. No, Jesus says, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Pretty easy answer, right? <laughs> There's no scale. There's no gray scale or grading scale that God is using. None. It is binary, isn't it? You see it in Romans 8, the two kinds of people. Those that have set their minds on the flesh and those that have set their minds on the things of God and the Spirit. You will all likewise perish. He says it twice, exactly the same way. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Shalom fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. All of us, right? It's, it's Romans 3, spoken out of the mouth of our Lord, as we try to put ourselves on a scale that's a little bit better than a whole bunch of people that we perceive to be far worse than us. And Jesus says, no. All of you, and this is our point of what we've been learning, right? We were all snatched off of that wide road, slipping deeper into sin, deeper into the pit by the pure grace of God. And anything that we have done that is pleasing to God has been done as a result of what they've done and then began to build this fountain within us that represents your Christian life. So praise be to them, right? I want you to just listen. I know that this is Bible study, so we're, we're doing Bible study. I want you to listen to the totality of Paul and Peter in a couple of passages. Go to Titus 2, 11, 3 through 7, and I want you to think about, if you can, everything that we've learned the last 14 weeks. It's a lot. But just listen to how these two men just capture that in such a wonderful way. Go to Titus 2, 11, 3 through 7, and I think you'll see this in both these passages. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope. This is just concentrated Paul, isn't it? The, yes, I'm sorry, Titus 2, 11. 
through 3 7. Uh huh. It's a wonderful passage. Waiting for our blessed hope, there's where our minds are set. The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. There's a little bit of a problem for people who see modalism or don't see Jesus as God at all, right? Who gave, this is the sweetest, who gave himself for us, and here it comes, here comes the snatch, to redeem us from all lawlessness. Everybody should say amen. <laughs> Right? I mean, I'm not talking to you guys, but everybody should say amen. And to purify for himself, look how particular this is, a people for his own possession out of all of humanity. He snatched a people for his own possession. How much more could we be blessed than that? Because the alternative is leave them alone. Because we were no worse than they are. It's just the wondrous providence of God to do such a thing. And I can't get over that. I, I, I just, I think you guys probably know that by now. Um, and look what it goes on to say. A people for his own possession who are zealous for good work. So there's that John 7, out of his hearts will flow rivers of living water. There it is. Declare these things. So he, now he's talking to us to, to do these things within the church. Declare these things. Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. This is all part of Ephesians 2.10. For we are created by him. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he's going to prepare for you and you're going to walk right into them. And the question that these passages beg is, are we going to be ready for that? Right? Speak, to speak evil of no one. There's a chicken bone. To avoid quarreling. There's a T-bone, maybe. <laughs> to be gentle and to show perfect courtesy towards just the nice people. You see, see what I'm getting? I mean, every one of us should read these and be convicted right on the spot. If we are truly acknowledging God as sovereign and absolutely all-knowing of every little secret we keep about ourselves that's the importance of daily repentance daily confession daily examination because think about this we know that the 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 failure to confess and repent our sin just loads us down with unconfessed sin and a mindset that says yeah i got away with it that's dangerous. That's a dangerous trail, is it not? That is the path to backsliding as a believer. And I think that that's part of what Paul is warning us because Lord knows he saw a lot of it. 
to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all. For we, here it comes, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice. We're going to look at that word, and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Now, how do you get out from that box, right? In the notion that God chooses the choice meats, as I've heard said before. How do you get that from that passage, brother? You have to mentally clip that right out of your Bible, don't you? Because that is like all-encompassing. And here, boy, we'll always pay attention to these buts. Verse 4, Titus 3. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us not because of works done by, his, by us in righteousness. For anybody who's bound in a false religion of works, there's the passage. It is not by our righteousness, but according to his own what? Mercy. The undeserved gift by the, and here he comes with a picture of how they do it. How they take us off of that wide road and set us onto this narrow road and this course of sanctification by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior so that being justified by his grace we might become, and here it is, heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now with that just rattling around in your heart, I want you to go over to 1 Peter, and we're going to listen to Peter's perspective on this because I think he gives us a very similar perspective, which is what, I, what struck me this week as I was studying for this. 1 Peter 1, 13, we're going to read through 23. Therefore, now look where Peter goes, preparing your minds for action, because that's where it's going to, that's where the battle has to be waged. It's a spiritual battle. And in the spiritual battle is, truly, how does Christ and the Holy Spirit teach me to respond? Versus, how does my flesh want to respond right now, right? Preparing your minds for action, be sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And part of that is, well done, brother, right? That's part of that beautiful North Star, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, here it comes, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call, and here comes the namesake warning right here. For if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourself with fear throughout the time of your exile, 
Fear of what? Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb. without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last time for the sake of you, Grady. It's very personal, that you. Very, very personal. And it was determined in the solitariness of God to save for themselves a people and for the creator of the universe to enter into that universe and die on behalf of those people. You could not make that story up and you certainly couldn't hang it together over all these centuries so beautifully and cohesively as it is in the scriptures. So just cling to these words. Who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God, the living God, I would. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere, what? Brotherly love. There's the church. Shining brightly. Sincere brotherly love. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. There's what you fill your mind with. And our diligence there should be like nothing else in this life. So let's wrap up before we go into next week's lesson and dive into some of these words. Look at the words that these two men just used in this passage. I'm just going to kind of read them up, but they come straight out of these two passages. Ungodliness, worldly passions, lawlessness, foolishness, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice, envy, hated by others and hating one another, conformed to the passions of your former grace and ransom from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. And if that wasn't talking about, and this is my point, if that wasn't talking about believers, they are exactly the words used at the bottom of Romans 1. And we're going to see that over the next several lessons. And this is this idea that we were saved out of that unto salvation and a sanctification that is now putting to death all those things that we are and have in so many ways brought right into our Christian lives so that the body of Christ could go to work as the body of Christ. Because Paul just unpacks this for the next 13 chapters. That's why he starts here in Romans 1. So that none of us can ignore this passage because it's me.